You're listening to a life at the pictures. From grenadiers, grub, gigs and groupies to films, friendships and fun times. Memories of Mansfield's Granada Cinema. This year marks the 90th anniversary of a building that became the entertainment hub of Mansfield, the beating heart of a community, and somewhere that played an important role in people's lives for over 40 years. The Mansfield Granada was the Midlands' first super cinema and began life as the plaza. It was built slap bang in the centre of town and its grand entrance was on Westgate. Designed by Nottingham architect Alfred J. Thraves, it was open to the public on August 4th, 1930. Almost 43 years later, it would close its doors for the final time, making way for the redevelopment of Mansfield's town centre. The building has now been gone longer than the time it existed, but its legend still lives on. And this programme is made up of people's memories of the impressive building. The voices you'll hear worked there, played there, began relationships and friendships there, and were entertained within its walls. This is their story, and the Granada Cinema story. My grandfather and my father built the Granada. They built the Empire in Mansfield and the Hippodrome. The company was C.H. Hill and Sons. They had a big building yard on um, Victoria Street and um, he built uh, Cox's Lane, most of Woodhouse and... Um, most of the estates in Mansfield, he built cinemas. He, he just did all the building, really. So really, a building family. As you went in, you'd go up the steps into the foyer, which was very big. There would be there was the ticket place on, as I remember, on the right hand side, and on the left hand side was the kiosk with all the sweets and things in. I think it was Miss Candy, the uh, the sweet shop, as you might say, refreshment shop, and that was open to the public from the street as well as from the theatre. And then there were two or three more steps. There were steps either side going up, but there was then steps into the main cinema and there were two usherettes there. And the ticket, the man on the top of the steps, or the girl, whoever whoever's shift it was, we just tore it and you went in with the other half. There was a cigarette machine, there was a Coke machine. I always remember the Coke machine. It was a real treat to buy a Coke it was really cold, and you put your money in it, and the coat bottle came down. And then on the right-hand side, there were some steps to go up to the restaurant. But on the left-hand side, there was a, a huge staircase that took you up to the foyer and into the restaurant and into the circle. I think there were three aisles uh, that you could walk down, so depending which aisle you were on or the usherette was going to take you to depending which door you went to and they'd take you to your seat and uh, that was it because smoking in those days of course so you could actually see the film the, the light of the film you know being projected onto the screen through the smoke <laughs> not, not allowed nowadays of course I would say that the seats were red plush um, with the organist down at the front and uh, the usherette showed you to your seat and it wasn't like now where you get there for the start of the film. You could walk in at any time, halfway through a film. You could stay when the film finished and watch it through again if you wanted to. And um, the ladies came round with the ice cream trays around their necks. And it was such a treat to have a little tub of ice cream 
and I was taken with my parents. Ron Burkett, he was the chief of staff, he was a commissioner. And what he used to do every night, just before, they used to have what they called staff parade, which was just before we opened. And he'd, he'd line them all up against the wall, all the, the usherettes, and they'd be looking at the uniforms, seeing if they if like on like being on parade, seeing if everything's all right, and then they go to their respective places. The manager and the secretary would come out. We would weigh it uh, in the middle for you. You sort of just stood there. You see, you got your uniform on, and then they'd, then he'd come out of the office, which was lower down. You see, they'd come up the steps and say that if there was anything to say or anything like that, you know, but they called it parade. When the cinema were due to open on, you know, say Monday or whenever, say the first showing was uh, one o'clock, at quarter to one, there'd be what they called the parade. They'd stand on the foyer and the manager would check the uniform that everything was okay because you, they, they were on the sharp end of the job and facing the public, weren't they? You knew it were coming. You'd you got your coming. navy blue trousers, a yellowy, goldy coloured satin shirt and a cape, a navy blue cape. With, um, yeah. Yeah, just to make sure you all look presentable. And, it was the, the Cecil and Sidney Bernstein that owned the Granada and uh, they were really professional at uh, doing everything, really, and they wanted the Granada to be the best in everything they did. It was a grand theatre. There was no two ways about it. It was wonderful. Compared to, we had the Empire um, Cinema, which was in Mansfield also, at the top of Stockwellgate, and the Grand Cinema. But the Granada was also the grandest of the three. It was superb. I mean, the seats were luxury. The place was beautiful. The restaurant was beautiful. It was kept well. It was lovely. The whole thing was very nice. There were six cinemas in Mansfield, so you got a choice. I never went in Rock on Scary Hill. I never went in Ritz at Bull Farm. I went in all others. Hippodrome, which turned into Century. Uh, Grand. Granada and Empire. I mean, it was cheap enough. And you could sit, sit there and throw you out. You could sit there and see it again. You know, if you got a girlfriend, you didn't go home early, did you? <laughs> I started there as an apprentice in 1958, and uh, it was a job that I thoroughly enjoyed. I was uh, fascinated as regards to the cinema because I used to go there as a, the children's matinee. And uh, I thought, well, when I leave school, I want to go up in that projection room and see how the whole thing works. And that's what I did. I got the job at the Granada, and I was just 15 when I left school, so I, I got the job then. There was a chief, two second operators, two third operators, a fourth operator, and then an apprentice, roughly speaking. Alf Bailey was the chief. Nice guy, very nice guy, yeah. And uh, it was a due to retire around about that time and two years into the job he did retire and then Ken Roby took the job over who was a, a younger man who worked at the Century which was owned by the Granada in Mansfield or the Hippodrome as it used to be called. Came back to Mansfield in 1958 and there was no jobs then and uh, because I'd worked at the Granada previously and my cousin worked there at the time. She must have told Mr Bush that I had come back into town and so he asked me to go in and see him. So I went in and he said, you know, I can offer you a job, which would you like, as long as it's the bottom end, which was the pay box or the kiosk or something. 
I said, I don't know, really. So he said, well, you've done the pay box last time you were here. What about the kiosk? I says, OK, I'll take that. I started there as an usherette. And then over time, I did various jobs there. I went in the cash box occasionally. I used to go round with the ice cream round the auditorium and upstairs into the circle with the tray in front of me selling the ice cream and drinks. Mainly, I was an usherette, and we used to grab our torches after getting changed and then go into the stores downstairs and then get started on the work. All we had to do was, when the customers came in, we just had to seat them. Well, when I first started, it was um, Bridge on the River Kwai, and then there was uh, quite a few musicals were shown there, Pal Joey, South Pacific, Gigi, and they were on for quite some time, probably two months at a time. But uh, there were a variety of films. Usually it was a, a, a feature film and a second feature and it would continue its performance, so you could go in at 1 o'clock, and if you wanted to, you could stop there till 10.30. The feature was shown 18 times a week, from Monday to Saturday. You're listening to A Life at the Pictures, memories of Mansfield's Granada Cinema on Mansfield 103.2. The uniforms that they give us to wear was quite bizarre, really. Well, I thought there was. We wore dark blue trousers, and we had a, a gold long-sleeved blouse buttoned up to the neck then we had a cape that was fastened around the neck and that's how we our uniform and that's what we had to wear we also had a hat as well i'd forgotten about that it was just like a sailor hat then over the over the time as the years went by they introduced the new uniform which was a navy blue skirt and a navy blue jacket which was buttoned up to the chest, and that was it. So I started just with the sweets and cigarettes, and then they started doing the booking for films. We booked for, um, probably not in this order, we booked for um, Ten Commandments, every seat, 1,523 seats in the Granada. Every seat was booked for a month, not necessarily occupied but we had the tickets so they did as a makeshift booking office at back of the kiosk which was my department all these little cubby holes and it went down very well well there's two projectors um there was a blank of uh, on the back wall the amplifiers and um each there was two thousand feet of film on each spool well, they needed a changeover between that and the next projector, which you couldn't see inside. What you look for is a dot in the right-hand corner when this spool was about to run out. Start the projector up and then swip it over with the sound and you wouldn't know inside that that had happened. Then that would be running 20 minutes, 2,000 feet. You'd thread the projector up, the first one, and then change over again. You've got to do that about five times. In a, in a feature film. You'd switch the arc lamp on, get the film running through the projector and look and you'd see it at the screen and look like a mile away. We used to go and they had really nice films like all the Rogers and Hammerstein, like King and I and they, they were, yeah. they seemed to be... We had our first date there. 
Yes. Oh, did you? Lady in the Tramp. Yes. Yeah, and uh, Walt Disney we were 15. World. Did you go on the back row? I don't know, but, but what it was in those days, the cinema, you had uh, like one and sixes at the front and mm. two and nines at the back, or I can't remember yeah. the thing. Whatever the price was. But yeah. we used to buy the cheapest uh, tickets because mm. inside you had a friend who was an usherette and he used to go in, show her the one and six. Oh, yeah, you, you instead of pointing that way near the screen, she pointed at the back. Well, I was working at the ESL to Kirkby and Ashfield and I was uh, they, they, I found out they gave me a fortnight's notice for it for redundancy they were closing it down and I went just down to go to the Granada and I asked if there was any vacancies available and uh, the chief Ken Rovey was on the foyer at the time and he says uh, just a minute I'll speak to Mr Dawson so he goes into the office and comes back out and he says, we'd like to uh, have a word with you. So anyway, I went in and he interviewed me and I got the job straight away. And the the uh, the Asoldo closed on the Saturday as I got actually started at the Granada on the Sunday. It was the wow factor in cinema terms because with it did have a restaurant cafe above upstairs, which was very unusual for a cinema them days. I discovered that if you were a guest of someone that worked at the Granada, they actually had on the ticket machine a concessionary ticket that came out. And one of the ladies working there was friendly with our group and Jimmy Shade. And I went to go to the cinema and she said, oh, it's you and et cetera, et cetera. And clinked down on the register and outshot this concessionary ticket. And I thought, crikey, how many concessionary tickets would the issue? And so I got a freebie into the Granada. Lovely. We did very well at the Granada. We used to have queues queuing right round the side, right round to the back when we'd got good films on. And there was a big sign over there saying, sorry about the queue, folks, but it's well worth waiting for. I do remember we had a film come called The Robe. It was so busy, it was unbelievable. We just, everybody just couldn't get in to see it. Psycho. I did go and see it, it was an X-rated. The thing was, it was splashed all on the front of the Granada that you could not go in mid, because, of course, when you went to the cinema, you could go in at any time. And, of course, when it finished, they always played the National God Anthem and you all stood up and, you know, sang oh, God Save the Queen. Yeah. But for Psycho, you could not go in. If the light was on, you were not allowed to go in. And I know for Psycho, they wouldn't let you go in halfway through because, of course, the big scene was the shower scene and everything, of course, and then the end of it. Mm. And I was so impressed that uh, that you couldn't go in. And I wasn't very keen on, on uh, X-rated films. But I did go in there and fright myself to death. Well, with a friend and everything. With tuppence for paper and strings You can have your own set of wings with your feet on the ground, you're a bird in flight. With your fist holding tight to the string of your kite. Oh, let's go fly a kite up to the highest height. Let's go fly a kite and send it soaring up through 
atmosphere up where the air is clear oh let's go fly a kite when you send it flying up there all at once you're lighter than air you can dance on the breeze over houses and trees with your fist old and tight to the string of your kite You're listening to A Life at the Pictures, memories of Mansfield's Granada Cinema on Mansfield 103.2. It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Mary Poppins. Well, I couldn't believe the crowd that you came to see that film. I mean, well, that was one of the first films that I, I shown there. And it, the, well, to put it a, a word, the place was heaving. There were children all over the place. And uh, in fact, the manager uh, at the time, Roger Kelly, he, uh, he actually took a, a song from that and he put it on a slide uh, called Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And what he did, he, 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 used, he put, put it, and he, the kids on a Saturday morning matinee, which we used to have from 9 o'clock on a Saturday, he used to get to birthdays on stage and, and uh, he'd get them singing this song. And, and, and we'd have a, a feature, a cartoon, a serial, uh, and this song, sing-song. One particular day, trainee, it was on, on the slide line, and we got three slides to that particular song. And there's, a, there's on the slide lantern, there's a carrier which you push across and pull across to get different verses. Anyway, it put one on, and then in the second carrier, it put three. And then it put two in this first one. Anyway, it threw everything out. And Roger Kelly went absolutely spare. Well, there was a Saturday morning club, uh, the Grenadiers, it was called, or the Granadiers. It was a kids' club on a Saturday morning. And a lot of kids were, were going on their own. They were a bit older than we were. But... Um, Dad took me down there. We used to walk down from, you could walk it from, from our house on Forest Road. And that was great fun. We used to get there, I think it was nine o'clock we got there and we came out about 11. And you always got some kind of prize or present or whatever. And the, the manager used to come out onto the stage and he used to throw sweets out. And he had a great big bucket of sweets and chocolate bars and what have you and threw them out. But we were never sitting, well, certainly I wasn't ever sitting close enough to catch him. Ken Roby. 
who's was the chief projectionist there at the Granada, he turned around and said, you play the organ, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, would you like to play for the children's matinee? So we've got a new assistant manager who's uh, well into theatrical productions and he wants to put a stage show on for the kids. And that's how it all started. You know, I think the first, I think the first song we played for the kids' matinee was The Happy Wanderer. And then the uh, Mansfield Grenadiers was the final singing out tune, as you might say, play out tune. On the Saturday morning, they used to always bring the organ up, you know, and uh, all the words used to appear on the screen. And uh, we all used to sing along with those sort of things, as well as the skipping competitions and what have you. You used to sing the song every, every Saturday morning, you used to sing the song. We're all for one and one for all the Mansfield Grenadiers. That's where I run out of words, but you get the drift. <laughs> and then they used to sing the song, the Mansfield Grenadiers. I'd many a, a, an adventure with that because sometimes you'd sit on the organ seat and somebody put an ice cream on the seat and you hadn't noticed it, so you, uh, you know, that was quite a, a thing, but. One of the biggest hazards, I mean, in today's health and safety, you wouldn't be allowed to do it, or they wouldn't let you do it. Ladybrook, the stream, ran underneath the cinema into Mansfield and uh, into the into the morn, and uh, it ran underneath the stage and where the organ chambers were, because the the organ pipes sounds were under the stage with uh, shutters to control the volume. And they were in either side of the organ on, under the stage but I used to go round in the dark while the uh, serial was on and the kids were watching that I used to go round the back down a metal ladder little metal ladder to switch the main isolator on for the blowers but because Ladybook was there it used to fill up and you used to have about a foot of water in the bottom of the organ chambers so sometimes if you miscalculated the amount of steps you also got a wet foot as you went down but you got one foot in the water and one on the on the main isolator switch and <laughs> never thought about it today you couldn't do that but uh, so i used to go around there so many a time i could have ice cream on my trousers and a wet sock as well while i played we Got guitar players together, Ray McMahon and Carlo Cosinoga, and Stuart Moore was the singer. And Stuart was a go-getting lad. I think he approached the manager at the Granada in the very early 60s, and he said, would you like to hear a teenage band that are just starting up and we could play between the children's matinees? And he agreed, so we caught the tramways buses as we used to call them them days into mansfield carrying two guitars i carried a snare drum in i think it was an old royal navy haversack with a stand and a little ajax symbol that's all we had but we did have the secret weapon of a hona echo chamber that made the guitars sound just like the shadows and we waited in the dressing room ready for the interval when they sold ice creams etc and the children were quite rowdy them days but it was full so they came to see the serial and the three studios and the main film and we waited in the dressing room and in the dressing room was a visitor's book with any of the people that had been performing them 
And he said, come on, boys, in you come. We set up with the two amplifiers, echo chamber, two guitars, and me with the cymbal and snare drum. And we did two or three songs, which went down ever so well. And then we got off and the film continued. And afterwards, Fred would, him and perhaps somebody else, projectionist, what, have sat in the front row and said, right, lads, um, well, you need to get a better drum kit than that. Well, yes. And um, said, yeah, very promising. And he gave us half a crown. We did sometimes on stage competitions. And then we sometimes we'd have a, a young band or a young singer go and sing on stage. But we did one. We had so many open dress up as a mummy you know, of the um, Egyptian mummy. And we got grief from the uh, supervisors. And it used to be the cleaning ladies used to stay on after they cleaned the theatre in the morning to supervise the kids because there wasn't a toilet roll left in the... uh, in any of the toilets at the end because the kids were wrapping themselves up in the in the aisles in the seats on the stage so we uh, you know we didn't go down very well that day <laughs> but never mind but there was i mean there were it was nice days you know i mean you could go in there and we had perks like it was a miners rally it finished and parade used to come after the we finished our shows so we used to go on the roof of the restaurant and watch the miners rally coming down uh, Westgate, and that was that was a, an experience. The funniest bit was um, if you got a sloppy bit in 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 the movie. You know, the, the generally black and white movies, of course. Occasionally you got a colour. I mean, that was a real luxury of a colour movie. But the black and white ones, and then when there was a love scene and what we call the sloppy bits, you know, um, everybody would be going, ooh, 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 get on with it. Ooh. Because we want to see like Tarzan, you know, and uh, uh, Lex Barker did a lot of stuff. I, I think he was Tarzan at one time. The death knell for the kids' matinees, mind you, was ITV putting children's programmes on because it was, it was very handy. Parents would drop the kids off at the bus stop outside the cinema, put the kids into the, uh, you know, into the matinee, and they used to go do the shopping. And uh, we started off with, I think, about 65 going in when we started the first show. For most of the time, we were getting over 600 in, uh, which was, and we, we did two Christmas shows. We did have to open the balcony. The cinema held just under 1,200, and we had to open the balcony for that. And uh, so it was great fun, that was. But then when ITV started the children's programming, that was, I think, February time in... Uh, 73 the numbers dropped down we dropped the last couple of weeks or so it was down to about 80 but in its heyday it was, a, it was a cracking time you're listening to a life at the pictures memories of Mansfield's Granada cinema on Mansfield 103.2 Another thing about the Granada, of course, uh, it had a lovely restaurant upstairs. And uh, I also used to remember it because they had artificial jellies and blancmanges and things like that on display. 
and you could get a, a meal up there quite uh, reasonably and I suppose you consider it at the time to be a bit posh you know I nearly got through out of there they used to do a lunchtime special meal I think it was two and ninepence then or something like that and uh, I, I went I was at the college on Chesterfield Road and I decided I could go there for lunch and I got two and ninepence so I poddled in had my lunch and the, the girls gave me the soup would you like a roll with that yes please and my bill duly arrived for two and tenpence because they charged me a penny for the roll and I just didn't have the money I blustered uh, but they let me off in the end you know <laughs> so so that was quite good when I was just, I think, 14, I went down to get a job as a waitress and uh, in the restaurant. And it was a very well-run place. It was a very renowned place. People would go for afternoon tea, which, of course, is very popular now. But in those days, it was proper afternoon tea because, you know, the, the cake plates and... Uh, the ladies that would come in for afternoon tea. But I worked all shifts um, and particularly when there were shows on, it was always busy. Um, the kitchen was always busy. There were a lot of waitresses and we all had to, we wore a uniform. And uh, I can, it's amazing. I can, when I'm thinking about it now, um, and I smile about it because I would think, when I went in there, I was thinking, oh my goodness, you know, what have I come to? And I think about, that in relation to uh, waitressing and people waiting on now in coffee bars and cafes. It was so different. We were we were regimented, really, and there was a, a head waitress that oversaw everything we did, you know, and the way we served. But it was great. It was lovely, and I loved it. And the one thing about it was there was a, a huge window above the big, the front of the Granada where you would go up the steps to go into the cinema and also up to the restaurant up the stairs over overlooking Westgate there was a huge window with tables in the window and of course lots of people love to get the table in the window and it always felt so grand it was lovely it really was there were all the black dresses and the little white aprons and always extremely clean. You never saw anybody with a dirty apron and the little frilly caps with the black ribbons on. It was an event to go there. It was. It seemed, you know, you were being really, if you were taken there, you know, by your mum and dad on a Saturday afternoon when if you'd been shopping, you went there, you felt really posh. All the businessmen used to go there for the dinners. Oh, yeah. We used to go and it was a, a cafe off just off the uh, restaurant and we used to go and have our meals chips and beans and whatever in there and cups of coffee it was open to it as a coffee restaurant as well but the main business people in Mansfield they were regularly dining in the in the uh, dining area in the restaurant it was a place to go and eat because there weren't very many places in Mansfield you could eat at the time not really there was a Swan Hotel of course uh, and uh, I think there was a Clark's Cafe and uh, Jackson Axon, of course, there was a fish shop at the side of the Granada, which was very popular at the time, you know. Uh, but not not really many places you could go and have a lunch or something like that, or afternoon tea, say. And um, it was quite good to go there. Oh, well, my friend Austin, he was the second chef. On my break, I used to go in regularly for chips and beans. And uh, when, I, when I used to go in, he'd uh, shove a sausage underneath when chef wasn't looking. And it cost one and eight pence in old money, 
One shilling and eightpence. I used to watch Austin make the Yorkshire puddings in a big bowl. You know, when you when you go in and order your food, you, we used to order our own in the kitchen, you see, and wait for it. And uh, and and I saw him putting a spot of vinegar in. I said, what are you doing with that? He says, that makes your Yorkshire puddings crispy. Listening to a life at the pictures, memories of Mansfield's Granada Cinema on Mansfield 103.2. Oh my old man's a dustman, he wears a dustman's hat. He wears gold blimey trousers and he lives in the council flat. He looks a proper nana in his great big cocktail boots. He's got such a job to pull them up, but he calls them Daisy Roots. And of course, they had the big live shows as well, uh, which. You know, it was quite unusual at the time. You know, I saw Lonnie Donegan there, um, and Mr. Dawson said to me, I got, I got seats right on the front row. And Mr. Dawson came down at the, at the interval and said, Would you like to meet Lonnie Donegan? Oh, would I? I mean, he was my absolute hero. And uh, so he took me, and we actually walked up the side of the stage, on those steps to the side of the stage, to get backstage. And I met Lonnie Donegan. I was pretty well tongue tied and all the rest of it. Anyway, when I when I finished, I thought I better leave. Let them get ready. Don't want to outstay my welcome. So uh, I left them and uh, went to rejoin the audience via the stage. And I got there, and uh, there was uh, somebody on stage. I think it was uh, John Pertwee sitting on the stool. I said, "Well, I can't go on the stage now and down by the steps. I'll have to go out the crash door." So I did, 
and oh, I hit the crash door, stepped outside, and all I heard was, It's him! Because <laughs> in my younger days, I had a passing resemblance to Lonnie Donegan, you know. Gosh, it took me, oh, 20 minutes to get back to the uh, front of the uh, cinema to get back inside, and, and, and I lost a, a shirt sleeve in the process yeah I really got mobbed so I know what it's like to be mobbed as a pop star although I never became one so that was quite an interesting experience I can tell you and then we started doing the live shows which were from Granada television so they were able to offer them one night stands moving about the country and also Johnny Hamp could offer them television so then that became more bookings, two shows, and the seats were three and six, five and six, and seven and six. That was the price of the tickets. So we did the booking. By this time, we had the shop. So I had three other assistants. Four of us did shifts, two shifts, so it wasn't just me. Um, and so we had to see to the stars when they came in or whatever, advice or whatever it took and um, of course we did the we had to do the bookings for the um, programs the sales everything it was very yeah it was very busy just a sideline really I mean the films were still I mean we're still um, on Saturday was the be- the busiest day there was there was the kids matinee from nine in the morning till uh, lunchtime on the Saturdays and then uh, we just had a quick break and then we had to go down and um, get the curtains open wind the screen up out of the way push the speakers back and get all the drapes, the, the scenery bit at the back of the, the stage, and then ready for the show starting, they used to come on, they used to come in a, a coach, the stars come in a, a coach. Around about uh, half past 11, lunchtime, the first thing they used to say was, where's the restaurant? We're starving. So they all went up and had a meal on the restaurant. While the, um, the guys that came with them had got all the microphones and all the rest, they set all that up themselves. And so ready for five o'clock at, uh, for the first show on Saturday. And then, of course, when the shows, there were two shows, one at five, one at eight. And then at 10.30 at night, we uh, had to get all this, the, the stars went uh, on the bus, on the coach. And we've got to put the screen back, wind the lights up out of the way and uh, get the speakers back ready for the Sunday show in at tea time on a Sunday. So it was full, full whack at weekends on them shows. When the doors opened, it was mostly a kiosk then because the shop would probably be closed. It didn't do the hours all the time. So right at front of me, I would have the 200 packs open of 10 park drives because I knew very well they were going to come in for 10 park drives and a box of matches. As far as sweets, I really can't remember. The shows mainly was on a Saturday 
And what we would do, we, we used to go to the work at normal time, half past ten, and we'd go, all of us, and we'd go, first of all, we'd fl- what they call fly, fly the screen, which means that we'd go on stage and there was a big ratchet, and we'd ratchet the screen up into the flyers, what we call the flyers. Then at the back, on the back wall, there was an alcove, and we used to push the speakers into the alcove and just lodge lodge them, you know, secure them. And then we covered them with a silk backcloth with music notes on, which, you know, basically just a screen. Uh, and then what we'd do then is uh, I'd go up in, onto the roof into a, a, a little hatch and there was a, a, a lighting bar. And what we had to do, we had to wind them, there was two handles and we had to wind it down and Ken Roby would be stood in the stalls looking up because there was like, you could see, see there was like a grill where you could see into the stalls. Ken would be looking up and he'd be, he'd, be, he'd be lowering it down. He'd be saying, right, lower, 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 stop. And then what I'd do then is just secure the, um, the bar with chains to stop it dropping. And, and, and that would be positioned for the show, you know, for the, uh, for the night show. And then at the end of the night, um, we, we'd uh, stay behind after the artist had finished and we'd put everything back. We'd go up onto the roof, wind, or I would go up and wind the thing back up, bring the speakers back onto position, lower the screen. But the trouble is, I mean, I'm not going to say which group, but one particular group, they were, they were, they were messing about, they were just sitting about, talking and strumming, playing the, the you know, just strumming, playing anything. And uh, I remember Ken Roby saying, ain't you lot got an, an home to go to? And this was about three o'clock in the morning. As he said, we got to get back in a bit, you know, for show, uh, afternoon film. Oh, Billy Fury. He'd, he'd sit behind just messing about, so packing the gear and going. You leave me him very good looking and I liked all his songs and I'd got posters of him all over my bedroom walls and I got his autograph. Yeah, I actually got his autograph, yeah. He came outside, came outside the Granada and we went to him and just clustered round him to get his autograph. We used to call it the Granada Yard. Yeah, you could cut through from Westgate to Stockwell Gate through the Granada Yard. I never understood why girls screamed until Billy Fury came on stage and like it all bubbles up inside you just want to scream. Just lovely, I thought. English Elvis, wasn't it? Yeah, it was our English Elvis. Listen here, look at me, look at me, you tell me what do you see without a word of love before you wave me goodbye. You're gonna say I'm a moody guy. 62 was the best year of any year for Shane Fenton and Fentos because we started the year with the Billy Fury tour, which lasted three months. That was with Larry Pons and that was that got us very well known. It was a three-month tour. I think it was the longest tour ever undertaken up to that time, mostly seven nights a week. It was strictly limited to about ten minutes, three numbers, four numbers, more or less same set. 
But I do remember when we played at Mansfield, we begged the uh, stage manager if we could do an extra number. You know, he, he wilted and said okay. But the, the uh, stage manager, he was strict on timekeeping. Don't go over, don't dare play another number if they sharp more, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, we went down well at Mansfield, I can say that. I think after the show, we went round to uh, Clifton Place, just talked about it and then to be on the road again the following day. Coming up after the news, we've got part two of A Life at the Pictures, memories of Mansfield's Granada Cinema here on Mansfield 103.2. You're listening to A Life at the Pictures. Memories of Mansfield's Granada Cinema on Mansfield 103.2. Love, love me do. You know I love you. I'll always be true. So please love me. The Beatles came with Helen Shapiro. They'd only just released Love Me Do. And don't ask me how I got to know about the Beatles, but I obviously really liked them, and, and I was potty on them after that. You know, I had all the albums. I didn't buy Rubber Soul because by then I was a mod and wasn't interested in them. Because although people think the Beatles are iconic, actually, for the youngsters like me, we outgrew them and they were all... You wrinkled your nose up if you admitted that you liked the Beatles after 1965. So on this particular day, Helen Shapiro was there and the Beatles were in the dressing room. And the dressing room it was like a tiny window. I never got inside the dressing room because I wasn't, I wasn't pretty enough or, or, no. or, or naughty enough no, no. to actually go inside the dressing room. And we said, Paul, Paul, give us your autograph. We bunged this paper through the, this little window that had bars on it. There were like... Um, vertical bars when we got the paper back it was pushed back to me so we only ever sort of said Paul Paul give us your autograph and Beatles give us your autographs but we didn't actually see him or them but anyway he bunged this paper through Paul McCartney I presume it was because it he'd got on the paper uh, piss off Paul McCartney and then then there was other bits of paper with all the autographs on and we went oh, oh look at this one and then this girl snatched it out of my hand so sadly uh, I never get to, get to keep that one, but I did get the autographs. I'll always be true, so please love me do. And I remembered thinking, oh, they sound awful. You know, I'm sorry, but 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 it did. Helen Shapiro was on the same bill, or they were on the same bill as her. She was able to close the first show, but she wasn't able to close the second show because she was too young to be on the stage at that time. So the Beatles closed it. The Beatles wanted to go for a, a drink, and I said, well, there's a pub across the road. I said, why don't we go? Fortunately for me and the other two, it was our break time. So off we 
totaled. Myself and a couple more of the Shiraz, we went over to the Eclipse pub, which was opposite the Granada, and we sat and had a drink with them. And it, it was magic. There was absolutely lovely guys. And we sat there chit-chatting, you know, and having a laugh and a joke with them. And I was sat outside of Paul and he was grabbing my hand, making a, a nice jokes and everything. It was just absolutely amazing. They were joking all the time. They were lovely, but they wasn't as famous then as what they are now. And I will always remember that. I did get the autographs, but unfortunately, they got lost. Loads of screaming. If somebody popular came to the door, you know, somebody well-known, oh, they didn't talk, well, they were squealing inside picture plays, you know, when they come on stage. You could hear them from stage door, squealing. <laughs> it was a bit erratic, really. How could I dance with another screamed a lot. Screamed we screamed at anyone. <laughs> you know, Duffy Powers, who the yeah. devil's Duffy Powers? Uh, we'd scream at anybody. So, um, But the stage was very small and the backing group was usually somebody that was like the John Barry Seven. Then the, the singer would come on. So the Beatles, perfectly honest, can't remember. I can remember them coming on and Paul McCartney trying to take over the show and showing off a lot. The one I do remember is they just got Please, please me into the charts. Did I love me do? And you could tell there was something. I mean, John Lennon was giving it some with the audience and he was full of it, you know. And they but they were I mean they were raw, if you like. But they were they were very impressive. Sometimes, you know, the door would open and it would just be one of the roadies or somebody coming out and you'd ask them, you know, to pass things in and oh, get yeah, things out. Yeah. You know, there'd always be somebody coming in and out and occasionally somebody would be invited in. Oh, their autograph was stacked up everywhere in the, uh, you know, backstage. And so whether they all got signed or not, I've no idea. We used to stand in 48 in order. Vanny girls they used to pretend we were one at Bunce. We never stood a chance. I remember a girl, I can't remember who it was, and I said, you just go out of Brunt School, went bands on, and just run around, roll the skates up. So they got mini skates on <laughs> and wait for bands at back, see if they could click. I was walking through the Granada Yard with my school friends and there's a lot of girls clustered around somebody getting his autograph. And I said, who's that scruffy-looking yobbo? She just looked, you know, a bit hair a mess and clothes not very smart and they said it's Ringo Starr and I said never heard of him but because all the girls were getting his autograph I thought well I may as well get his autograph as well um, not dreaming he would be so famous one day uh, and then when he did become famous my brother stole the autograph that I got and sold it. The Rolling Stones were on because a friend was with me and she tried to speak to Mick Jagger and he stamped on her foot. <laughs> Certainly Cliff Richard, I got uh, Cliff's autograph and uh, it was just starting off then really. Let 
There was um, Ellen Shapiro on, on a show and uh, she couldn't appear on the second show being the top star on the last of the show because she was underage so she had to appear on the first act on the second show because of the time limit for her age group. But uh, I certainly remember that and Bob Munkhouse, he, he was a compare on one of the shows. In fact, I missed him on the spotlight and uh, he just stepped back in the spotlight and like that with his finger just to move him back you know what i mean it, it looked like he'd been staged but it was just my mistake i missed him <laughs> when there were shows on we were we would all fight to try and get in there to do a shift that was later because the stars would come up for tea and things like that perhaps those that felt they were more important would stay and the tea always went down backstage but um it was i'm i met through that way i met billy fury and I met Matt Monroe, who I went on to be a huge fan of his music. I loved Matt Monroe. So, of course, when we had the live shows, that's where the young girls used to come, up in the coffee bar, because they thought there was a chance. And when Cliff Richard came, they were all ordering milk, because they said that's what he drove, and that's what he used to get. They just don't know what's going to replace her. Clance Frogman Henry, <laughs> Big D. Erwin, and there was a girl called Susie Cole sung the female part there. I don't know if she, I never heard of her since. Saw Sandy Shaw, and she had a group called Paramounts back there. And uh, I did hear they become uh, Proclarum. You're listening to A Life at the Pictures, memories of Mansfield's Granada Cinema on Mansfield 103.2. If you ever leave me, I'll be sad and blue. Don't you ever leave me, I'm so in love with you. The birds in the sky would be sad and lonely If they knew that I'd lost my one and only They'd be sad if you're back to me My favourite gig was probably the Billy J. Kramer show because we did actually, they used to go down to the, um, you say at the Swan Hotel if they were rich and we did go down to the Swan Hotel sometimes and see if we could see them after they'd done the show and that was um, Billy J. Kramer and my, my best friend Pam loved Billy J. Kramer so it was extra special because it was a real heartthrob. There was Billy J. Kramer and Tommy Rowe and the Foremost and the Denisons, they were sort of um, a Liverpool groups. And I think that was my favourite show. There was one particular time when we was, we was, me and Mick Fowler was on the spotlight in this, in this second room, uh, on the big, what we call Big Bertha, where these girls came running in. Uh, we got Paul Jones show running, and they came running into the projection room and they, they were shouting, we want Paul, we want Paul. I said, you won't get him up here. I says, the only way you can, you, you'll get him is, is by going out this door, climbing up some railings on the side of the building, going along the top, and there's about a 50 foot drop. Anyway, they just, they just went, and I never heard any more about them. 
What they'd actually done, they come down the side of the passageway from the from the west gate, uh, down to the left of the, the building where there's uh, some uh, fencing where the boiler house is. They climbed over the fence, come up the side staircase into the projection room, and that's where they found us. Well, the shadows, they were appearing at the Granada and we went up towards Titchfield Park and we recognised three people in front of us and Hank Marvin, Bruce Welsh, they'd got a football with them and they played football in Titchfield Park while we pretended not to be bothered by looking and we just hid behind trees and everybody else who'd recognised them there just sort of tried to act normal but we're looking at the shadows playing out in a sunny day. Yeah, little Richard had on. Actually, he had Sam Cook on. Sounds Incorporated. They were the backing group, I remember. And we always had a compare. And then Jet Harris and then little Richard. My friend Mount went. He saw that show and little Richard collapsed on stage. He had to carry him off. <laughs> I can't remember much about those other than we went to see Chris Montez and I think he was wearing red carpet slippers and I couldn't get past the fact that somebody was wearing slippers, you know, at a, at a show. Um, and um, so it's little things like that. And Adam Faith stepping off the bus and somebody said, oh, isn't he little? And he got back on the bus and will not get off again. He was very upset about that. Obviously very conscious about his height. Not forgetting the Sunday night shows with the up-and-coming local artists that was there on a Sunday night just to have an half-an-hour spot. Uh, between films. Sunday nights um, was a cheap night where boys and girls would go to meet. They'd have a B-movie, B-movies, which was a bit cheaper to go in, and all the young teenagers would go there to meet and kiss and cuddle in the back row and, and all that. All that. So that's where you got the musical acts, I remember vaguely, musical acts coming on at the interval and singing, you know, local talent. The beginning of the lineup for the Fentones was Jack Wilcox on knee guitar, William Bonney on bass, Mickey on rhythm guitar and myself on drums. And our new group was Roger Limer and the Crusaders, Roger Limer being the vocalist. And one of the highlights there was being invited by Mr. Bush, who was the then manager of the Granada Theatre. He uh, wanted to start using the group to play between the films, like a 10-minute interval on Sunday nights. So Roger Lamb and the Crusaders was the very first group to play at the Granada on Sunday night. The first week was a complete sellout, and we went down very well. We played for, say, four or five occasions, and then Mr. Bush decided to spread it round and invite all the local groups. I was a big uh, Joe Brown fan at the time, and I saw him either two or three times, at least twice. And Johnny Kidd himself, he was good.
Now Johnny Kidd, I remember Johnny Kidd. This is a, this is a sign of the times. Johnny Kidd was on. It was very very good. He was he used to get his sword out and stick it in the stage and lock about. Anyway, the drummer he'd do a bit of a chat with the audience. He'd say, hey, you know, are we all having a good time? You know, all this until he says, well, today's a big special day. He says, uh, our drummer has just become the father of twins. He says, and we're celebrating. And everybody went, hey, and he says. And you're all invited to the wedding next Saturday. And everyone went, ooh, we can't do things like that. Can't say anything like that. That was a that was a gag, you see. That was terrible in those days. The police box was on the corner of the market opposite the bottom end of Leeming Street. And on the box, uh, it was locked, but you had a key to get in. And there was a big pole up there uh, attached to the box, which had a light on the top, uh, which wasn't lit all the time. Uh, so he used to do an hour on the light and an hour off the light, as we used to say. If you're on the light, you had to keep that in view. When you weren't on the light, you were basically free. Mansfield was split up into four beats. There was Westgate down to Church Street, that was the centre line, and then from Lehman Street up to Stocklegate, so it was split into four. Uh, and if you're on, say, like, like an afternoon shift, you would be designated two beats. But one of them was the Granada, had the Granada in it. So when you had the hour free, you were free to wander wherever you wanted to for an hour before you would do back to go on the light again. So as I say, very often you would go and have a look, see what was on at the Granada and think, oh, I'm going to have 10 minutes in there. Uh, and yeah, so you'd, you'd go and have a look at, uh, at the Granada and see what was on and think, hmm. I've not seen them before. <laughs> I'm getting the backstage and uh, uh, and, and uh, see what's going off. And obviously, I smoked in those days, so you'd use that as a as a fag spotlight. You know, you could nip in there and have a quick fag. What do you want if you don't want money? What do you want if you don't want gold? Say what you want and I'll give it to you, darling. Wish you wanted my love, baby. What happened was I was decided to go in there and have a, a smoke. And uh, Adam Faith was on, like, I don't know what song he was singing, but he was, he was on stage singing. Saw me stood at the side of the door walked up to me on stage. I took my helmet off and put it on the edge of the stage while I was having a fag. And he picked my helmet up and put it on. And then he's singing on the stage with my helmet on. And I'm thinking, oh, God, what's going off here, you know? Of course, I'm looking at my watch thinking, I've got to be going. I've, I'm sort of five minutes or ten minutes, I'm back on the light and I've got to be down there. I can't very well walk down Westgate with no helmet on and stand on the marketplace one of the bosses will be coming down and I'm in for it. So I kept shouting, well, not shouting to him, but signalling to him, you know, and pointed to me, watch, and I've got to go, like. And he, he continued dancing about on the stage, singing my helmet on. So eventually, I think he, he was laughing like about it, and uh, eventually he did give me a hat, but my helmet back. So I put that on and I, I opted out the back door, a bit smartish, and went back to the marketplace. <laughs> You're listening to A Life at the Pictures, memories of Mansfield's Granada Cinema on Mansfield 103.2. Well, 
I remember Jean Vincent because them days we used to go around to the co-op on Stocklegate. The, the co-op, uh, I mean the big co-op still there, I think it's Beals now, but uh, on the ground floor was a supermarket. So we used to go and fetch a bottle of milk for our tea. And I'm walking through the foyer and this guy comes running up when Jean Vincent, you know, on the Saturday lunchtime, he says, is that Jean's whiskey? I says, no, it's a bottle of milk for our tea. <laughs> So, oh, fetching Jean's whiskey, I don't know, but it weren't me. I can't remember which show it was, but uh, there was another one, Jean Vincent and the Blue Caps, and they were the original Blue Caps who came from America. And we'd never seen anything like it, the show. Jean was amazing. He, he had an iron on his leg from, uh, from... He'd had polio as a lad, so he'd got a, a caliper on his, on his lower leg. And he also had had a motorcycle accident, so, and he'd broken his ankle, I think. So when he sang, he had to stand with his leg outstretched behind him. But his microphone technique was incredible. He had the microphone up in the air. He would be able to swing this injured leg over the mic. And then when it came to the guitar solo in one of the songs, the two guitarists on the opposite sides of the stage and did the Chuck Berry duck walk across and passed each other in the middle. I mean, the house went just absolutely crazy. The, 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 we'd never seen anything like it. Oh, Gene And his black leather. Yeah, Gene oh. yeah, Vincent. He came on as a show, but he came on one one time and I don't know when it was but he was in the audience yes and uh, there was a guy doing the uh, uh, you know talking to the audience you know the company oh, right. he said Gene Vincent's in the audience he says and everybody he got up and yay and he says now unfortunately his visa has run out his, or his work permit yeah. he's not allowed to perform on any English stage anymore he's, he's used his time up everybody went ooh he says but He's in the audience now, in the gangway. He says, do you think that can be classed as an English stage? And everybody went, no. He says, right. So they, they played Bebop Alula, and he, he stood in the gangway of the um, auditorium and, uh, and, and played. It was just a one-off thing. It was brilliant. From where we were... I mean, no thing you could hear was a sound coming from the, the monitor that we got just above us, giving us instructions on the follow spots, telling us what was coming up next, you know, what particular sequence or what were coming up next. I remember the last show we had was Slim Whitman, and uh, me and Mick Fowler was on the Big Bertha spotlight, and uh, we was following him, and anyway, we used to swap over one half, he, uh, Mick would follow and I'd be seen to the carbons because the carbons were unfed. They weren't motor fed and you couldn't follow and feed the carbons at the same time. Not on that, I'm on that spot. Anyway, the second half, he went on the carbons, seen to the carbons, and I did the follow spot. And anyway, I must have, I must have started daydreaming because... Slim Whitman walked across to the right of the stage and I, 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 my spot was still in the central position where he started. Anyway, he came back and he, pointed, he came back and pointed, you know, with the spotlight, uh, where, where he was like. He'd actually, gone, he'd actually gone into the darkness singing. I can remember one occasion when I was uh, uh, down the back of the Granada and the Baron Knights were on and I'd been watching them for a bit and then... 
uh, probably only 10 minutes or so. And then the, the intermission came on. So they all piled out the back door. And if you went out the back door, there was a little stone wall about probably four, four foot six high, which if you jumped over, you jumped into the yard of a pub that faced on to the bottom end of Stocklegate, roughly where the Halifax Bank is. And they obviously hot-footed it over there and had a quick pint in the pub before they went back on stage. And I can remember being in this back of there, I'd probably have a fag in the yard, and uh, they, they'd all stood outside with a pint in their hand, and I, and I turned around, I don't know which one I spoke to, and said, Oi, what about me? Next thing is, they're in the pub and out comes a pint for me. <laughs> Some of them stick out more than others. I remember Alma Cogan, because she had this beautiful turquoise, crinoline, feathered dress, you know. So because don't forget, I didn't see a lot of the shows because we were busy working. The last one I went to was probably in 65, which was the Hollies. By then, I'd, I was, what was I, 17, 18, and I was, oh, I was too grown up to be bothered with these screaming girls, and I was a mod. So by then, mods really didn't do things like that. We liked sort of Otis Redding and blues, American music. Just one look. Listening to A Life at the Pictures, Memories of Mansfield's Granada Cinema on Mansfield 103.2. On a Friday night, it didn't last long, we had um, uh, wrestling. Wrestling was very good on Granada television, so I think that's where they got their idea from. 
the problem was the stage wasn't big enough to get the wrestling ring on so the front two legs had to be supported in the orchestra pit and, and just above the world it's her organ and anyway they, they managed it uh, you know and I thought it's a, such a heavy ring that is hope we don't collapse in the shows and uh, they did the shows on a Friday night and uh, it seemed to go well didn't it, it did, yeah, but, but that was short lived that was that was, that was short lived There's our music. Yes, Mr. Bygrave. Here, Archie, being as you are, you must get very lonely. Yes, yes, I do, Mr. B. I think what you need is a girlfriend. How would we fix that? Oh, I've got two or three good ideas. Yes. Here's one. I'll take the legs from some old table. I'll take the arms from some old chair. What? I'll take the neck from some old bottle. Uh. And from the horse, I'll take the hair. Uh. I'll take the hand. And face from off the clock. Tell me more. And Archie, when I'm through, you have a lovely little lady dummy, and she'll be a friend for you. We got married while I worked there. We had our reception in the cafe. We had 50 guests. I got change out of £25. And it was a three course meal, chicken lunch, three course chicken lunch with port or sherry. I didn't get any uh, benefits by working there. And the cook there made our wedding cake as well. Lovely Mrs. Brightman. There was a live show on, a three-day live show, actually, when we got married. And it was uh, Peter Brough and Archie Andrews. So the show would be going on at the same time. It was an afternoon wedding then. They didn't go into the evening. We went away at six o'clock. Well, I know Pat from, uh, she lived just around the corner from me in, uh, on Warsaw Road in uh, Mansfield Woodhouse. And... Uh, she did start at the Granada, and we, our sort of uh, love affair started from there, but I'll let Pat carry on from that. Uh, Matt lived just around the corner from where I were, in, in Woodhouse. And then I went to work, I started at uh, Century when I first left school, and um, and then there was an op- opening came at Granada for um, a Miss Candy, so I transferred over there. I had the tray on and went round with the ice creams in the intervals, <laughs> I didn't get I didn't get a free ice cream off. Oh, I had no. to pay same as everybody else did. <laughs> we all have never really forgiven them for knocking it down and building that shopping centre in its place. <laughs> you know, not it's a rotten shopping centre. Just they knocked down the Granada to do it, and uh, I hated that. Well, there was rumours going about, which there usually is, if a place is going to close, and we we found out probably perhaps a month before we actually closed. We all had a notification letters. Actually, Tony Sheehan, he actually, I think the head office must have instructed him to issue notices, and he actually typed the, the notice out. But he was actually called in, really, to close the place down. While, I mean, uh, Robert Craig, he, he was uh, assigned to the Granada Rugby. Granada Theatres had uh, didn't have permanent resident organists. They uh, rotated. One local organist was on that circuit, on the organ circuit, was John Maiden, who actually bought the organ from Granada and uh, was hopefully wanting to install it locally. It was stored in a barn. But the other story of it, I mean, obviously working at the Granada, I knew it was coming up for sale, and I was a member of the Musicians' Union at that time, and they had a Keep Music Live fund, which was a considerable amount in those days. They were interested in, in putting it in this what was then the Civic Hall, now the Palace Theatre. Uh, so I can remember Arthur Burks, the secretary at that time, 
approaching Mansfield District Council, and uh, but uh, unfortunately they said it would be too much of an upheaval and they were worried about the insurance costs to put it in. So then John bought the organ and uh, put it into storage. It was a Wurlitzer, it was three manuals, it had eight ranks. Now ranks are the different sounds, like a trumpet, uh, clarinet, flute. So it's eight different sounds on it. It also had in the earlier years uh, a phantom piano that was placed on the stage and had a big mirror on, on it so people could see from the auditorium the piano actually playing. Uh, the organ was opened in April 1936 uh, by Harold Ramsey, who was then in charge of uh, music for the Granada Group at that time. Later on, Watson Holmes, which is probably the best-known organist, took over, who later ended up at uh, the Blackpool Tower. You're listening to A Life at the Pictures, memories of Mansfield's Granada Cinema on Mansfield 103.2. I actually closed the Granada, you know, in a way, because when I was, uh, when I owned the Midland Hotel, a resident came in and it turned out that he was the very last manager of the Granada and he'd come to close it down, so to speak. And I got talking to him, he's a nice guy, and I got talking to him uh, on, on the bar one night and I said to him, oh, well, you know, Saturday morning rush, you still do those? He says, yeah. I says, you still do the sing-songs and Uncle Somebody on the stage is skipping contests? He says, oh, no, we don't do that. I says, well, you ought to, you know. Oh, he says, oh. I says, you're a bit of a coward, you are. You should be doing this. It's that you know, like final weeks. He said, bet you don't do it. Well, I like a bit of a challenge. <laughs> so for the last two Saturday mornings, I went down there and did skipping competitions and stuff for the kids on a Saturday morning rush. The last film to be shown at the Granada was Young Winston, and it closed its doors for the final time on the 26th of May 1973. Before that, BBC Radio Nottingham did a programme featuring music from the Wurlitzer organ as a farewell. Here's a clip from that featuring Boyd Oxford, a former Granada manager, speaking to Ken Roby, the chief projectionist, who'd written a poem marking the end of an era. Very sad, the news of the old Granada closing. Oh, yes, yes. How do you feel about it? Well, I feel very sad about it. I expect you do. Very deep down. And I'm very sad too, Ken, because, you know, I engaged you. Yes, all these years that we've been here entertaining people and uh, seeing the crowds come and go and gradually dwindle away. Yes, it's very sad. So there you are, that's life, isn't it? Yes, I went home when I first heard about the news. 
and I wrote a little poem. You did? Yes, yes. It did? Yes. Surely good. I'd love to yes. hear it. It's called The Final Curtain. Let's hear it, Ken. I'd like to hear it. Bingo. Not a word we heard much in 1953. ITV was a baby. Not a bit of worry to me. Cinema queues abound. Not a seat anywhere to be found. People came from miles around. This was their favourite stamping ground. We laughed a lot. The staff and me over a cup of tea at all the people we had lost to the thing we call the box. They'll come back, we'll never close. This was one of our favourite pros. Cinemascope and all that guff, this surely would be enough to kill the trend that eventually would be our end. The crowds, now small in number, still come to view with some wonder. The sex and violence on the screen where Lassie and Gable once were seen. Just once, twice, three times a year, the bigger audiences reappear. A good old-fashioned family show is the only thing to take some dough. Like Disney's Bambi, Bond's Diamond Czar, and the one about a flying car. The rumours come in thick and fast. This is something we will outlast. The news is out. It's quite a shock. Ron and I didn't beat the clock. Rose and Irene and all the girls, it's enough to straighten out their curls. The boys upstairs are in a stew. They are such a reliable crew. We're near the end. It's such a shame. The calf and everything down the drain. Forty years of cinema, gone without a trace. A giant superstore put in its place. The lights are out. The poster's gone. Whatever will happen to everyone. The place closed, and I can't remember exactly how many, how long, how many weeks it was, but uh, I think it might have been one or perhaps two weeks to clear it. And I can remember helping down with the down these stairs with the equipment. It, it was something that uh, Mansfield lost. Really, it was the the the, the really plush cinema of you know there weren't a cinema quite like it around. Surround sound and, and four-track stereo, it was one of the things that uh, very innovative for its time. It had been part of your life, hadn't it? It had, that's right. It had been part of my life. Uh, and, of course, to add to all that with the stage shows, that were a real bonus, that was, to meet the, the stars of the time. I absolutely loved every minute of it. It was the best years of my life, working at the Granada. Absolutely the best years of my life. I often still dream about it. I always look, I always imagine. I always imagine the the alleyway that goes up, or used to go up the side of it. I also imagine Miss Candy that was at the side of it. I can play, I, I can, I mean the other day I, I went, I, I stood looking, in my mind I could split it down. You know, like the alleyway, the shop, and then the end of the, where the Granada started. When you do that, does that bring back happy memories? Yeah. It also makes me very, very sad as well because it was the finest cinema in town, theatre. It was the cream of the cream.
You've been listening to A Life at the Pictures, Memories of Mansfield's Granada Cinema. I want to say a big thank you to everyone that helped me put this together, especially those who shared their stories and so much of their time. Thank yous in order of appearance go out to Sandy Regan, Maureen Page, Alan Wilson, Betty Malt, Andre Camilleri, Malcolm and Pat Appleby, Phil Smith, Lynn Evans, Fred Shelton, Fred Newton, Eileen Leverton, Marilyn Brooke, Robert and Viner Wilson, Clive Bumstead, Rick Lee from 10 Years After, Margaret Shelton, Pete Foster, Tony Hinchcliffe from the Fentones and Mike Astle. This programme is dedicated to the memory of all those that worked at the Granada who are no longer with us. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 